Church. It is so good to be with you once again. I can't tell you how much I miss seeing your faces. Um, but again, like I said last week, I thank God for this medium of social media to be able to reach you and to minister to you. This morning, we are back in the book of Acts. We are starting a new chapter. So if you will, turn if you will to Acts chapter 18. And we will be covering the first 11 verses. But before, before we get into our text, let me throw this out at you. Have you ever had the opportunity to share Jesus with someone? And once it is all said and done, you kind of beat yourself up thinking, I should have said this instead of that. And why didn't I say that instead of this? Because if I would have said this instead of that, the outcome probably would have been different. Listen, I know that we've all done that before. In one way or another, we've all done those things. But I want to encourage you this morning not to beat yourself up over that. Leave that for the professionals like me that can beat myself up over those things so you don't have to. You just share Jesus with others and know that what you did share is what God wanted you to share. And if there is something that should have been said, then allow the Holy Spirit to take over because the Holy Spirit is still good at being the Holy Spirit. He will cover that part. Again, I understand the should have, would have, could have, but I also understand that the Word of God can do, can do what it's, it sets out to do. Because it, I'm reminded of Isaiah 55, 11, where it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now, it is apparent, as I shared with you last week, that Paul did something totally different when he was in Athens. As we covered last week, he took a different approach in sharing the gospel. He, he went off the beaten path, if you will. He went off the reservation. And, and most commentators... They think that, that his ministry in Athens was a complete disappointment because of the tactic that he took. Again, we didn't see the multitudes. We didn't see what normally happens in Paul's ministry. It was something that was completely different out of his realm, I would say. But I don't think, personally, I don't think that it was a disappointment for those who actually came to know Christ. They had a changed life. And one person is just as important as the multitudes coming to Jesus. And so with that, let's go to our text, chapter 18 of the book of Acts, beginning in verse 1. We'll cover to verse 11. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, 
born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own head. I am clean. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who was a worshiper of God, whose, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, as we go back to verse 1, where, where it tells us, after these things, Paul departed from Athens. There really isn't an, an, an explanation as to what after these things mean. Because we don't have that exact, exact time frame as to how long Paul stayed in Athens. We, 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 we don't have a, a specific amount of time. But after these things. But we do know that when he was there, he made himself available to the people, whether it was at the synagogue or whether it was at the marketplace. And we know from our last study that he was mocked by some. There was some who wanted to hear more of the matter, but he didn't get run out of town or anything like that. So it could mean that after these things was just after some time of being there, doing what he had been called to do, because whether people think that he did it right or wrong, he was always putting himself out there among the people and talking to them about who Jesus is. Whether it was in the synagogue and more on the religious system, with the religious system, or whether it was in the marketplace, speaking more philosophical, however that word is, but he was out doing what he was supposed to do. And now, as we get into chapter 18, he is on the move once again. So be that as it may, however it happened to him, Paul was now on the move. It was time for him to leave, and he leaves Athens by himself. He is all alone. 
He didn't have any of his companions with him. It doesn't sound like, from what we studied last week going into this week, that Timothy and Silas had ever gotten to him. So we don't know the time frame exactly. But he is leaving Athens and he has no one with him. He leaves Athens, or he leaves from Athens, and he departs and he goes all the way to Corinth. Paul would have had to head west, about 45 to 50 miles west to Corinth, which would have been a couple of days' journey. He, he doesn't have a big entourage. He doesn't have anybody else to worry about. But then again, he's by himself. So more than likely, he's not putting himself in dangerous situations, probably traveling during the day, going through the road that most people would be going through. And so it would have taken him a couple of days. But he went to Corinth. Athens was known for its culture. And it's learning. Whereas Corinth was known for its commerce and extravagance, licentiousness, debauchery, decadence. There was a saying back then in the days, in those days in Corinth, and it went something like this what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Now, in Corinth, it was one of those cities that, that again, we here in California, we look at, at, at Las Vegas as, as Sin City. We might even look at San Francisco of just being dark and decadent and, and just uh, the ugliness of it all. That is where Paul decided he needs to go. He needs to go to, from Athens where he has all this religious stuff going on that is just making him sick to his stomach and yet he still preaches Jesus. And yet he decides that now he has to go over to Corinth, make his way over there for some reason, and he probably knows what kind of city it is. And yet he's not afraid to go into a city like this. It's interesting because in the city of, of Corinth, it was the center of worship for Epaphrodites, or Epaphrodite, the goddess of love, also known as Venus, who, who promoted immorality in the name of religion. It is believed that there was about, if not more, than a thousand prostitutes, male and female, that were there. They were called the temple prostitutes. And they consecrated themselves, set themselves apart for Epaphrodite. This is the kind of place that Paul is going to. I truly believe that the Lord was leading him to a place like this. And again, some people is like, oh my gosh, why would God take someone to a place that is full of debauchery? 
Why would he take him to a place where the goddess, the main goddess, is so immoral that they have male and female prostitutes all over the temple? Well, could it be because there was people that were lost and needed Jesus there, and Paul wanted to reach them as well. And I think oftentimes as Christians, we look at places that are so dark, and we think, oh, I would never go there. And, and, and for, for some people, they just can't go there because of where they came out of. But at the same time, we should never think that we can't go into dark places to reach people who are lost because you and I were there at one point or another in our lives. And yet, somebody reached out to us in the darkest moment of our lives for many of us and, and, and pulled us out. What if that person said, well, I can never go talk to those people, to that guy, to that girl, because they are so perverted? What if that was the case? And yet God has called us to go anywhere and everywhere to reach the lost. The people were lost in the city of Corinth. And Paul, for some reason, had a heart to go there even amongst all the darkness. And I've shared this before, and I will share it again. A single little match in, in a room that's all lit up does nothing. Oh, it still lights up, don't get me wrong. But you take it into the darkest cave, and you turn on one little light, and that light shines so bright. And I could guarantee you that Paul, as he walked into Corinth, was a shining light amongst all the darkness that was going on. Paul came to Corinth and he was determined to share and to magnify Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul would depend upon the Holy Spirit as he always did to present the gospel in simplicity. He, he wasn't going to take the same approach, not that it was wrong in Athens, but he had a heart to just come in there and speak to them with simplicity. Turn over, if you will, to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For 1 Corinthians chapter 2 here beginning in verse 1 to verse 5, just gives us a little glimpse of how Paul came into Corinth. He says this in verse 1 to verse 5, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I, I love this portion of Scripture because it gives us a glimpse of how Paul came to Athens. It, it is quite possible 
that he had a lot of time to think for those few days after he left Athens on his way to Corinth. That he had all this time to think of what was going on in his life. And in a sense, that kind of comforts me. Because he said in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 2, and I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. So, so again, it is quite possible that Paul may have come to Corinth discouraged somewhat. Maybe even wanting to lay low. Maybe waiting, waiting away from, from ministry, if you will, until Silas and Timothy heard from him or he heard from them. Now, I'm not saying that Paul had all this time to think to where he was doubting his salvation or anything like that. I, I don't think that he was going, man, is, has God really called me to this? Am I even saved? Or anything like that. No, I just think he was kind of going through, through what he was going through because he was all alone. He didn't have any partners, any companions with him at this time. I'm just saying that he was somewhat down. J just from what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 tells us. When he got there, when he got to Corinth, it doesn't tell us the timeline, but when he got there, it says in verse 2, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila with his wife Priscilla. So in the meantime, the Lord, as Paul is going through what he's going through, in that time, God brings this Jewish couple into Paul's life. And I'm sure that it must have been perfect timing for Paul. Now, it doesn't tell us that, that this couple, this Jewish couple, was, were believers. It just tells us that Aquila was a Jew. He was born in the region of Pontus which would have been on the north side of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, on the north side, right against the, the Black Sea. He, he and his wife Priscilla had been in Italy for however long they were there. But they had been displaced from there by Claudius, one of the rulers of Rome. He had kicked all the Jews out about the time of A.D. 59, uh, 49 to 50. Right around that time, they had got kicked out. Now, the time, at this time, when Paul gets to Corinth, the year is about 52 to 53. So they, they, they found their way, this couple finds their way over to Corinth for whatever reason, Again, it was a place of commerce, and they were tent makers. So, so again, it was probably good for business. But they find themselves there. They are there for about three to four years. 
and they had been there long enough to find a place to stay, to establish themselves, and to have a business. So when Paul gets there, because they are of the same trade, it tells us in verse 3, he stayed with them and worked. They had this in common. I don't know, again, if they were believers or not, but they were both tent makers, which means that they worked with leather. Jewish rabbis in those days did not accept money from their students. But they earned their way by practicing a trade. And Jewish boys were expected to learn a trade. No matter what their profession might be, what they would enter into, they always had something to fall back on. So Saul of Tarsus, when he was a young man, when he was coming up in the rabbinical schools there, he must have learned tent making, working with leather, to support himself wherever he found himself. And now he finds himself in ministry, and we know from other portions of Scripture that when, when nobody was supplying for his needs, he was building tents or making tents. And so here he finds himself alone. He finds this new couple that, that, that welcome him into their home. And this tent making trade has now come in handy because there is no support coming his way. And so he is supporting himself in this way. This is what... I like about this, the fact that Paul may have been truly discouraged and maybe even lonely at the same time, and yet at the perfect time, God brings people to him. He, he, he brings people into his life, whether they knew the Lord or not, they had the same trade. They had something in common. And I love that because I think anywhere we go, regardless of people are believers or not believers, I truly believe that God would give us people in our lives that we can have something in common with them to spark conversation, if you will. To be able to have this kind of closeness with other people. We, again, we don't know if they're believers, but I could guarantee you they're not going to be unbelievers for a long time. Not hanging, not without, uh, if they're hanging out with Paul. And could it be, is it possible, that God used this time in Paul's life to kind of get him back into the swing of things. Maybe not to go speak to the multitudes, maybe not to, to go and do any kind of ministry, but just to have this one couple that have, they have this in common at least, to be able to start sharing Jesus with them in simplicity. And I love the fact that this couple would become friends for life. They would become fellow workers in Paul's life. They would, they would come alongside of him 
and be with him, travel with him. He would trust them with ministry. And in, in Romans chapter 16, verse 4, it says that they risked their own lives for him. What a pal. What a pal. In verse 4, it does tell us that he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogues every Sunday, or every Sabbath, I'm sorry, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. We really don't know how long it took Paul to get back to synagogue. Maybe, maybe he took no time at all. Maybe, maybe he jumped right in. I'm just speculating that because of his demeanor getting there, that maybe he laid low for just a little bit. But, but be that as it may, what we see here is that he is in synagogue. He is back doing what he has been called to. To do, and that is put himself out there. Put himself among the people. He knew that going to synagogue, he would run into Jews and he would run into Greeks or Gentiles, those who were seeking God. Again, it's quite possible that, that it took this time for Paul to be in the synagogue for him to realize this is where I belong. Again, he had to do his tent making in, in, in the interim. He had to do what he was supposed to do to get him through what he was going through. And maybe he needed that time away from ministry, if you will, to perhaps reflect, to regroup, to do something different before jumping back in the saddle like tent making. Now, again, if it is true that Paul was discouraged, and most commentators do think that, that encourages me. <laughs> it encourages me to know that the great apostle Paul may have possibly been, at one time in his life, discouraged. Knowing that Paul went through that, and, and, and the fact is that he needed other people in his life. To me, that encourages me. Because we need other people in our lives. I think there is a danger for, for pastors and leaders to think that they have to hold it all together. And not let the people know that they are going through it. That they may be discouraged even. That they are having this time where they feel disconnected from everything around them. And I think it's sadder still when the people don't allow their pastors and leaders to have those times. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that pastors and leaders have to have times of discouragement. But when they do, <laughs> don't be that guy. Don't be that guy that pushes them over the edge. Cut them some slack. Just like you go through it, we go through it. 
We have our highs and we have our lows. We have our ins and we have our outs. And we go through situations. And, and I, I think I am pretty fortunate because I am a pretty open guy. And I am not afraid to talk to some of my peeps here in the congregation about things that I'm struggling with, things that I'm going through. I have a great staff. I, I, I'm not intimidated by, by my pastors, my assistant pastors around me. I, I feel like I could, I could share with them some of the things that I go through. Oh, man, I have my wife that I could always talk to, even though I don't always. But I love the fact that I really have the opportunity when I am discouraged, when I am down. But I've heard from so many pastors who feel like they can't even let down their guard for a second, for a moment, because the people will chew them up and spit them out. And I think that's sad. I, I, I love the fact that Paul, if in fact he was truly discouraged, or even slightly discouraged, I love the fact that the Lord had brought this couple into his life. And they were an encouragement to him. And perhaps they just let him be who he was. Just a fellow tent maker with them. It, 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 it's quite possible that, that maybe they didn't even know who he truly was when he arrived to their home. If, if his name hadn't preceded him, it's quite possible that they, they were just like, hey, here's another tent maker. Okay, come on in, bro. Come and hang out with us. It's quite possible when they got the synagogue and he had the opportunity to share and to preach. Probably looked at him going, who are you? <laughs> but Paul, Paul seems to be back. He, he's back in the saddle. He's at the synagogue. And I truly believe that he knew that that is where he needed to be. He knew that, that, that the only cure for discouragement was to be an encouragement to other people. I, I truly believe that. That when we are down, when we are going through situations, the thing that, that gets us out of that rut, that thing that gets us out of that place is when we start ministering to other people. And the focus is not on us, but it's now on other people. And I think that's so important for us. If, in fact, Paul may have been discouraged, now that he is preaching Jesus and him crucified and encouraging people, I truly believe that his spirits were just lifted. Now, here in verse 4, we come across two words that we have covered before, which are reasoned and persuaded. And I want to cover them just one more time, and I'm, I'm sure I'll cover them again. But today, I want to cover those two words again, reasoned and persuaded, because we've come across those two words in our previous studies. The first word, reasoned, which means dialogued, Paul reasoned or dialogued with them through question and answers. 
And it also means to discuss in argument and exhortation. Which would have caused the hearer of what he is saying, the other person, to make a decision with what he has heard. And the other word here that we're looking at is persuaded. And we've looked at that word a couple of times. That word persuaded or believed. Which is a very interesting word as I've shared with you before because it means to apply persuasion to prevail upon or win over to persuade. Bring about a change of mind by the influence of reason or moral consideration. Uh, understanding, as, as, as we've covered before, that, that, he, that it is not saying that they were forced to believe. They were persuaded in that way, in, in a forceful manner. On the contrary, they believed because it was the only reasonable and logical thing to do, given the evidence that they had received. And so the decision was now on them. And that's what Paul would always do. When he went into the synagogues, he would reason with the people. He would have this dialogue with the people. It doesn't mean when it uses the word argument that they were fighting and raising their voices. That might have happened, but, but that's not really what it means. It means that they had this dialogue going back and forth that when he presented the evidence, they were persuaded. They believed. Because the evidence was clear. Now it tells us that in the synagogue, there was both Jews and Greeks. Again, Paul knew his audience. He knew that he would find both Jews and those who were seeking after God, the Greeks or the Gentiles in the synagogue. And so he would go there. It also tells us in verse 5 that when, he, when all this is, is happening in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, so now these guys are coming in. And even though there was going to be opposition, Paul knew that he, this is where he was supposed to be. And I, and I love the fact that the Lord brought people, more people, into Paul's life at this time in his life. Some old companions, Silas and Timothy. It, it, it was almost as if they got there and there was this this boldness that just come, started coming out of Paul because he was familiar with these guys. He knew that now his team was back together. Oh, he already had made some new friends. But now his old companions are with him. And because they are, they are now there with him, it says Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews, that Jesus is the Christ. So it says Paul was compelled by the Spirit. Other translations say it like this. Pressed in the Spirit. 
devoted himself exclusively to preaching and completely engrossed in or with preaching. In other words, it seems that he is in his element. He's back. He, he knows what he's supposed to be doing. When Silas and Timothy had arrived from Macedonia, they, they brought some financial aid with them. And this enabled Paul to devote himself full-time now to preaching the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 11.9, it says, as he's writing to the Corinthians years later, it says this, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what, was lack, for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. Paul, if, if there was nothing that was supplying his needs, he would go to work. He would become that tent maker once again. But once these guys got there, it gave him the opportunity to go all the way, as he always had. And what a joy that must have been for, for Paul. To see his old friends and hear of all the good news that had been happening with the churches that they had, he had left behind. Whether it was in Philippi or Thessalonica, where, where, where it is believed Timothy and, and, and Silas had, had, had been, that they had stayed behind to minister to them. When they made their way to Athens, didn't find him there. They, they, were, he was probably, they were probably told that he went over to, to Corinth. And so that's where they all meet up again. And now they are together again. And what an encouragement to hear all the good news of what God was doing. Now, this word compelled is an interesting word. Because the King James uses the word pressed. Which, which means to hold together, i.e. to compress, constrain, hold, keep in, press, to keep together, to keep from dispersing, to keep the state together, keep it from falling to pieces. Now, I find that that's an interesting word because when we read it in the New King James, it seems like he is being compelled by the Holy Spirit, and yet the King James Version says, no, it, it seems like he, he kept it together. Adam Clark's commentary puts it like this. When Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul set himself together with them, holy to the word, i.e., he was fully employed now that he had their assistance in preaching the gospel. Now, the word spirit that is in this portion here is not speaking about the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for this word spirit here is the word logos, which means 
word. And in an in a, a objective sense, getting the whole picture, it means, it means what is communicated by instruction or doctrine. In, in other words, what Paul had already known and had been taught by the Spirit of Truth was now being exercised or applied. And so when it says that Paul was compelled by the Spirit, it was almost as if because these old friends had come in and they had brought with them what was necessary, not only the financial aid, but the support that he had always had. It was almost as if, if he had been discouraged before, that he is now right on track. He, he is doing what he's supposed to do. He's known this for a while. And I don't know if you've ever gone through this. You know exactly what God has called you to do. But because of discouragement, because of things that you may be going through, you feel like you pull back. And you're not in your element and you know it. And you know, and it's almost like you've been put on the shelf. And this is the baddest, the, the worst place to be. And, and it seems that Paul, even though he, he was in the synagogue, once these guys came and once they brought not just the financial support, but the emotional support and the spiritual support, Paul was compelled to continue to preach what he knew all along. And he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. He was back on track. Paul was compelled. He was pressed in the spirit, in his mind, in his feelings, if you will, to do what he knew he had to do. And it was the love of Christ that propelled that, that compelled him because it was so great. And his conviction, all of a sudden, the truth of who God's word is or what God's word was all about was stronger than ever. And he testified. He labored to make known to these Jewish people and these guys that were seeking after Christ, these Gentiles, to, to preach the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he's back on message. To the Jews and to those who were seeking after God. And, and what he does in this situation, with the boldness that he, he has once again, he drew the line in the sand with the Jews. And the message that Jesus was the long-awaited Christ, Messiah, the one that was promised to send, to bring salvation, that is who he is preaching uh, to them about. And so when lines are drawn in the sand, it causes people to choose. Some will cross the line and come over to the saving knowledge of the grace and truth of Jesus. But there will always be those who refuse to cross the line. There will always be those people who don't want to hear that message and they will oppose and with, with increased opposition comes increased opportunities. You've heard me say that before. Just because there is opposition doesn't mean that the doors are closed. If anything, 
it gives you greater opportunity to go through the door and share even with the opposition. Anytime you enter the enemy's territory, understand this, there will be opposition. Again, if in fact Paul was struggling with discouragement, he found courage in the battle. Not that he wasn't fearful, but he found courage because again, he told us he came fearing and trembling to these people. And yet he found courage in the midst of the battle. If in fact he had played out all these situations that had happened in his, in his life in the past, good and bad, up and down, whatever it was, with the multitudes or with the few, he needed that time maybe, perhaps, of tent making. He, he needed that time, but he also needed to get back into the game. Opposition is what drove him. It, it, it was no time to quit. It was time to go full steam ahead. And guys, I totally understand with everything that's going on in our lives, the fact that we can't even get together on a regular basis, whether it's here at church, whether it's at a home study, whether it's just hanging out with brothers and sisters, even going down to the ballpark, man. We, even those things, we can get really, really discouraged. We can, we can get ourselves out of the game. And yet, it's no time to quit. If anything, what an amazing time to be alive. With all the stuff that's going on in the world today, it would be easy for you and I to just kind of check out and say, well, then we just have to distance ourselves from everybody. But the fact of the matter is, as I said last week, we have so many different avenues to reach one another, to encourage one another, to get back into the game. These Corinthians not only opposed him, but they also blasphemed him, which means that they defamed him, they railed on him, they reviled him, and they spoke evil of him. And they did this in an abusive way. But Paul's no stranger to any of this. He's probably going, hey, back on track. This is the way it's supposed to be. I love the fact that even though these things happened to Paul, Paul did not defame back, rail back, or speak evil of them. But he did do something that Jesus told his disciples to do when people did not receive the word. And that, was, that is in Matthew 4, uh, 10, 14, where it says, and whoever will not receive you nor hear your word when you depart from that house or city, shake the dust from your feet. And that's what he ends up doing here in verse 6. And then he says this, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. 
To have blood on your hands means that you bear the responsibility for another's death because they were, you were not faithful to warn them. And we get this picture from the book of Ezekiel that the watchman was responsible of taking care of the situation. And if he did not do his part, then their blood, or their blood was on his hands. But to have blood on your head means that you are the one to blame for, for your own judgment. Because you had the opportunity to be saved and you turned it down, you rejected it. You fought against it instead. And so Paul is saying, I am clean. My hands are clean because I came and I shared with you the simplicity of the gospel. And you rejected it. Paul would be known as the apostle to the Gentiles. But that does not mean that he, that he didn't minister to Jews. Because wherever he went, he always went towards the Jews. And when they rejected him, he turned towards the Gentiles. And he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to turn his back on his own people when they rejected him. Because he did what he was supposed to do in the first place of sharing the gospel, being that example, preaching Jesus and Him crucified. In verse 7, as we continue, it says, And He departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And so it is quite possible that Paul never went into that synagogue there in Corinth ever again. But that was okay, because he didn't go far. He just went right next door. He preached the gospel right next door. And I could almost guarantee you that he was outside in the front yard when people were walking by. Quite possibly sharing with the passerbyers, if that's a word. So he enters into this certain man's house, Justice. He was a Gentile because it, it refers to him as one who worshiped God, who probably had come to know the Lord because of Paul's preaching, whether he was at the synagogue or outside listening, and he invited him into his house. His house was right next door. What a useful place to be. What a wise decision from Paul on Paul's part because it gave him that opportunity to have access to both the Jews and the Gentiles who were seeking after God. Now, some Bible students think that Justice's full name was Gaius Titus Justice, and that he is the Gaius the, uh, that Paul referred to as my host in Romans 16, uh, 23. And that it was at his house where the church of Corinth began. Because in, in, in Romans 16, 23, it says, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. Then, then we're introduced to another guy in verse 8, where it says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing and believed and were baptized. 
So as a result of Paul's preaching and teaching, even the ruler of the synagogue, the chief ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, was converted. Now, it was the job of this ruler of the synagogue to see or to oversee the, the, the synagogue building and to care for it. But not only that, he was also the one that held the regular services there and made sure that everything was done orderly. He oversaw that whole thing. But here we're told that he came to believe and so did his household. And so we have another picture, another instance of an entire family turning to Christ because of the preaching of the word. And this must have influenced so many different people because I'm sure a lot of people knew who Crispus was. Now, it's interesting because this connection between Justice, if in fact his name was Gaius Titus Justice, this, this, this connection between Gaius and Crispus here in verses 7 and 8, because they are mentioned together in 1 Corinthians 1.14, where, where Paul is writing to the Corinthians years later. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So he had this connection with them. And in verse 9, as we're closing up here, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. As the Lord had encouraged Paul by bringing all these people into his life and back into his life when the, the, his two companions had come back to him, he is also encouraged by the Lord himself. And the Lord himself speaks directly to him. It, it, it is totally possible that Paul was in a place that he needed to hear this encouragement from the Lord. As well as from others. The other people were ministering to him. But for some reason, the Lord needed to speak to him. Needed to reveal himself to him once again. And I love the fact that, that we can have so many people around us that can encourage us. And, and, and that's necessary. We need people like that in our lives. But man, oh man, what a blessing it is when the Lord speaks directly to us. Oh, it might not be in a vision, but I can guarantee you it will be through His Word. To be able to hear the Lord speak to you personally. And, and, and the Lord met Paul right where he is at. And, and, and the Lord meets us right where we are at. And he says this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. There, there, there may have been some threatening circumstances that happened between verses 8 and 9 because of the opposition that was going on. That the situation perhaps had become difficult and or even dangerous. 
And it is quite possible, again, speculating here, but it is quite possible that Paul may have been thinking of leaving the city when the Lord appears to him. And he gave him the assurance that he needed. Because it sounds like Paul was discouraged and he needed to hear these words from the Lord himself. I, I, I like the fact that Paul needed to hear that. Because it just goes to show us that all of us can be in a place of discouragement. And we can have people trying to encourage us. And, and, and sometimes that's all we need. But there's other times where we just need to hear the Lord. And my encouragement to you would be, get in His Word and He will speak to you. He will encourage you through His Word. <laughs> I, I, I like the fact that He tells them, I am with you, Paul. I am with you. And no, no one will attack you to harm you. <laughs> and I was thinking, it's like, I wonder if He said, what do you mean by harm? <laughs> They're not going to hurt my feelings even? <laughs> but they weren't going to harm him. He needed to hear that. And so even with the promise that God would be with him, he was not able to do ministry or the things that God had called him to do by himself. He needed other people in his life. And you see, none of us, I don't care who you are, from this position or that position, we're not supposed to do this by ourselves. And that's what makes this time a little hard, that we are not collecting together, that we are not, not in, you know, in one place collectively. That's, that's kind of hard right now. But we can encourage one another through this. We can call one another. We can email somebody. We can text one another. We can FaceTime. We can do all kinds of things to be together however we need to do it. And isn't it just like the Lord to speak to us when we need Him the most? And to hear, do not be afraid. I am with you. That, that, that just kind of seems to calm the storm when God ministers to us, regardless of the circumstances we may be in. So, so next time you feel down, next time you feel alone, defeated and even discouraged, meditate on Hebrews 13.5 and, and Isaiah 41.10 and allow the Lord through His Word to calm your heart because He will be with you. Hebrews 13.5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you and will hold you with my righteous right hand. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much. God, for just giving us glimpses of your people and your word. 
the things that they battled with, the things that happened in their lives, Lord, the good, the bad, and the ugly, Lord. I'm just so grateful that you don't hold anything back from your word. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I know that there are many who are discouraged, who are fearful, who are going through a time because of this social distancing that we are a part of right now, that there is this anxiety building up, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would meet them right where they are at, Lord. That you would use your word to minister to their hearts right now. Oh, use the brothers and sisters to reach out to one another, Lord. But Father, please, Lord, we all have your word. Speak to us loudly through your word, reminding us, Lord, that we are not to fear, to not be afraid, for you are with us, Lord. And we thank you and we praise you. And we ask, God, that you would go before us in the things that we have before us today. We do love you and we do thank you. We honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.